Let's grab our seats and uh, take out our Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table next to our offering box. Love it if you would grab one of those and let's, uh, let's open our Bibles together to the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> For four weeks now uh, in our series entitled Fruitfulness, we've been looking at the nine character traits that Christians are to possess and display. And they are referred to in Galatians chapter five as the fruit of the spirit. And I get that that's a unique uh, way to describe these traits, but that's because these traits are produced in us. They are grown in us by God the Holy Spirit himself. That's why they're called the fruit of the spirit. When we are redeemed from sin, And when we're restored into right relationship with God by his grace, he does not merely save us out of hell. He saves us into a life that grows more and more Christ-like. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the the nine character qualities that every follower of Christ uh, should possess. And so, uh, you know, one of the questions that we ought to be asking ourselves throughout this series and even this morning is, okay, if I'm claiming to be a Christian, uh, would would my family and friends and neighbors and coworkers describe me in this way? Would they describe me as loving and joyful and, and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled? Would the people closest to me, this is what every Christian ought to be asking him or herself, would the people closest to me describe me in each of these ways? And being described in each of these ways is very important because after all, Paul refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And the reason why he refers to them as the singular fruit is because they all grow together as one in the life of a believer So just to give you an illustration, in the same way that a single octagon is made of eight lines, the singular fruit of the Spirit is made of nine qualities. So if part of an octagon goes missing, it ceases to be an octagon, and the same goes with the fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit grow together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Now, I don't know what that does in you when you hear that, but for me, that's a really sobering and humbling truth because as I have prepared this week to talk to you about peace from God's word, well, I have to just be honest, peace, more often than not, is lacking in my life. 
Tim Keller defines the godly fruit of peace as the confidence and rest that we experience as Christians when we trust in the wisdom and control of God. John MacArthur adds that peace is the inner calm that results from confidence in one's saving relationship with Christ. Now, I'm not gonna ask for a, a show of hands this morning, but I will confess to you, as I just did a moment ago, that my life is often lacking in the fruit of peace. My life is more often than not characterized by the antithesis or the opposite of the fruit of peace, which is anxiety and worry, rather than, than an inner calm and a confident rest in the saving, wise control of God. Um, my morning begins, I don't know about you, but as soon as I pop my head off my pillow, it's almost as if the what if questions just start flooding my mind and my soul. What if I lose my job and I can't pay my bills today? What if one of my kids gets sick or injured? What if that blood work that was sent away a couple weeks ago for me, what if it comes back with poor results? What if this fractured relationship that I am working through right now? What if it is never mended? Do you relate with some of these what if questions that we are inundated with in our daily lives? Jerry Bridges comments that the same circumstances of life that rob us of our joy, and we talked about joy last week, the same circumstances of life that rob us of our joy, they also rob us of our peace. Because the common denominator, he writes, of all these circumstances is uncertainty. Uncertainty is the greatest disturber of peace. If you think back this week, Think about the things that might have caused you the most stress, whether at work or at home. <clears throat> Think about the things that might have unsettled your soul, caused anxiety or worry or fear or a bit of a panic. And I can almost guarantee you, whatever that thing was or those things were for you, I can almost guarantee you they had something to do with uncertainty. The looming unknown of a situation the inability to control the outcome. Um, I believe he's a, a secular non-Christian writer. His name's Khalil Gibran, and he writes this. Anxiety, which is the opposite of peace, anxiety does not come from merely thinking about the future, but wanting to control it. And we see this truth we see this unsettledness and lack of peace in the book of Galatians. The first century Christians who were living in Galatia, the ones to whom Paul wrote this letter, which we now call the book of Galatians, the ones to, to, to whom Paul wrote, these first century Christians, their lives were marked more by anxiety and worry than by the peace that comes from God the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you how we, we, we can see that. 
in chapter 5, verse 15, we see that among them is backbiting, devouring slander and gossip. These are three outward signs of inward anxiety and unrest. And then in verses 19 and 21, Paul lists all these works of the flesh. Listen, enmity and strife are in there, jealousy and rivalries. These things are, are, are what a lack of peace looks like in a community of people. Where there is not peace, there will be enmity and strife and jealousy and rivalries. Where there is not peace, this anxiety is producing these works of the flesh in the Galatian Christians. And we learn earlier in the letter why this is. The Galatian Christians had adopted a false understanding of Christianity. And their false understanding uh, made their performance of good works the basis for their forgiveness and salvation. But rhetorically speaking, how many good works, O Galatians, does it take before you can know that God has accepted you? O Galatians, can you ever know that you have truly done enough to be accepted and pleasing to God? See, with this view of Christianity, which is an aired view, with this view of Christianity, it's no wonder the Galatians had no peace within them and with each other because they weren't at peace with God. They didn't know where they stood with God. They didn't know if they had finally done enough obedience to the Old Testament law to earn their place in his kingdom. Now similarly, let's bring this down to Worcester, Ohio level this morning. If you and I are not at peace with God this morning, if you and I do not know where we stand with him, there will be no peace in our souls, nor in our relationships. And we will ultimately look like the Galatians were looking in the church, slandering one another, gossiping against one another, devouring, backbiting. And unfortunately, much of this describes the American church in many ways. But the good news this morning is that Jesus is in fact alive and all of his salvific promises and gracious promises are intact. And this means that true peace, real, genuine, authentic, outrageous peace is available to each of us this morning. It is. Because of Christ, we can have, as Jerry Bridges puts it, Jerry Bridges is, is a commentator of sorts. He wrote a book on the fruits of the Spirit that I've really gleaned a lot from during this series. And I would commend, you, uh, commend to you his book. I believe it's called Fruitful for Life. Um, but Jerry, Jerry Bridges says, because of Christ, we can have one, we can have peace with God. This is my outline this morning, by the way. Peace with God. <clears throat> peace within ourselves, number two and peace with others, number three. Let's look at peace with God and, and kind of dig into what I mean by that and what the word of God means by that. And I'll make this very, uh, uh, you know, big blanket statement. The basis of all peace that you and I will ever hope to experience, the basis of all peace begins and ends with God. 
we will not experience peace within. We won't experience peace with others until we are first at peace with God. Um, Growing up, a sibling rivalry was not merely a lack of peace between me and my younger siblings. It was a lack of peace between me and my parents. And I'll explain why. It was a lack of peace between me and my parents. I would question my standing with them self-consciously. Now, they lavished us with love. I, I ought never to have doubted their love for me. But in my fleshliness, in my competition, I would question my standing with my parents when I saw acts of what I would deem favoritism being doted upon my brother and sister, my younger sister and my younger brother. In those moments, I would doubt their love for me and the lack of peace I felt with them is what resulted in a lack of peace with my siblings. So I say that as an illustration to paint this portrait that before we can hope to have peace with ourselves and with others, our siblings, we must first be at peace with where we stand with God, our Father in heaven. And the Bible tells us that we were created for this peace. Created in and for shalom, as the Hebrew puts it. It's the reason why we all inwardly crave wholeness and fullness and completion and peace. But that peace we know from the biblical story was shattered when our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. And it has been shattered, that peace, that shalom for which you and I were made. It's been shattered every generation since. Adam and Eve were not unique because each of us, you and I, have turned our own way in disobedience. We've operated as if we were the gods of our own universe. And because of this, the world we live in, doesn't take long to see, turn on the news, the world we live in is not at peace because we are all operating as if we were the king or queen of our lives. But the good news is that despite the unrest and disorder and chaos and confusion and separation from God that we have all welcomed when we've turned our backs to him in disobedience, the good news is that God has remained steadfastly rich in mercy. I love that, rich in mercy. It's like he can't give enough of it away. And that God who is rich in mercy has seen fit to restore us to himself, to restore us to the peace for which you and I were originally created. And he has done, th- done so through God the Son, Jesus Christ. Many of you know this, but don't let the old news or the good, the, the good news become old news this morning. Jesus came to earth and he physically put an end to our sin and our unrest that we have sown by taking our sin and our unrest, our anxiety, our lack of peace, he took it to the cross where he died. And then three days later, raising to life, he now invites us and he's inviting you in this moment to re-enter that peace with God by turning from sin and trusting him for forgiveness and salvation. This is why Paul writes in Romans 5, verse one, therefore, because of everything that I've just said, 
since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the point, the linchpin upon which all peace begins. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can restore us to peace with God. It's kind of why we make a big deal about Jesus every week. He says of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It is through his narrow gate that we re-enter into a relationship with peace with God. There's no other way. It's why we make a big deal, a big deal of Jesus at Substance. If you have come to this faith in Jesus, if you, brother or sister, have believed that Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection as a substitute for your penalty of sin that you owed and as the guarantor of the new life to which you will be raised, if you believe that, if you believe the good news, then right now where you sit and where I stand, we are at peace with God. We're at peace with him. Hallelujah. And only now that we are at peace with God can we be at peace within ourselves. Uh, Point number two. And yet, even having believed the gospel like I have, operating in a world that still groans in the fallenness and brokenness of sin, it's often hard. It's a challenge of my faith to continually walk and operate in the peace that God affords me. On the night that uh, he was betrayed, Jesus concluded his time with his disciples by saying, in John 16, 33, I have told you these things. He had taught them a lot of things and told them a lot of things, but I've told you these things in summation that in me, he says, in me, you may have peace. He says, in this world, it's a broken world, it's a fallen world, it still groans with our rebellion, the effect of our sin. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Right there, he acknowledges it. You will have trouble in this world, but he doesn't leave us there. At the end of 33, he says, but take heart, church, because I have overcome the world. The reason I so often lack peace in my soul isn't because I'm naive to the first part of Jesus' statement in John 16, 33. I know there's gonna be trouble in the world. Don't you? We see it every day on the news, in the magazines, on social media. We know there's trouble. We experience it in our family crises. We experience it in our sickness and death in financial turmoil, disease, destruction. We know there's trouble in the world. It's the second part of Jesus' statement that's mind-boggling to me. But take heart. I barely know what that means sometimes. But take heart, he says. We could translate that, rest assured. Be certain. Church, be at peace. 
in the midst of your family crisis that's going on right now in your life, uh, if this is you, Jesus is saying to you, take heart. Though it looks like you might be losing your job, you're not sure what's going on at the factory or wherever it is you work, Jesus is saying right now, rest assured, rest When you turn on the news and you see that global tension is rising again and the future is beginning to look more uncertain than ever, believer, Jesus is telling you, be certain. And if the biopsy, heaven forbid, should return with poor news for you and the last thing you feel is peace, Jesus says this, be at peace. What this means in Jesus' command to us to take heart in the midst of trouble, it means that real, actual, tangible peace is available to you and I at this present moment. It will be tomorrow when we wake up, should the Lord give us another day. It will be while you wait in the doctor's office for the news. It will be while you drive to work tomorrow. Real, tangible peace is ours right now. And it's not because all of life's battles have miraculously disappeared, but the fact is that our biggest battle has already been won. Jesus' death and resurrection has restored his people to peace with God. His resurrection has guaranteed for you and for I our final victory over Satan's sin and death. It is finished. Take it to the bank. So believer, you may be wondering this week if you're going to have a job or if you're going to have work or if the finances are gonna come in next week. But do you know what you're not wondering this afternoon? Is where you will spend the rest of eternity. And that's a long time. In comparison to the blip on the radar that is this moment, 10,000 years, and then 10,000 years, and then 10,000 years, and then 10,000 years. It's gonna make it look like a drop in the bucket. And just to bring some encouragement for the calamities that I know the church is facing and that you believers are facing and that I am facing in my very life, look, here's a little bit of logic if we can trust Jesus to save us from the grave, don't you think we can trust him with our job situation? Don't you think we can trust him with our kids? Don't you think we can trust him with our biopsy? Believer, you're walking through a family crisis. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Don't you think we can trust him with the family crisis that we are undergoing right now? Don't you think we can trust him 
with our everything. Paul writes in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. He says it just like that. That is a bold statement. One that I don't know that I've ever obeyed in my life. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything, believer. Pray. Pray about everything and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this is a promise, will guard your hearts and minds and minds in Christ Jesus. I have experienced that kind of peace just a few times in my life. When despite the gravest situation, the peace of God absolutely overwhelms my heart. Have you had that experience? When Lindsay and I were pursuing a church planting residency in downtown Columbus, there were some weeks where finances got tight and one of which I remember us sitting on the couch in the living room. One of those rare occurrences where the anxiety of my heart actually led me to pray about something. And we just poured out to the Lord and we decided we weren't gonna be anxious about this. We were gonna give it to the Lord. And I kid you not, it wasn't that all of our circumstances changed in the moment, they rarely do but the peace that surpasses understanding just overwhelmed us in the living room. And right then and there, we just knew that we knew that we knew the God who raises people from the grave can handle this situation, and he did. Another instance is when our daughter, our oldest daughter, Finley, was seizing, and we were driving her to Children's Hospital, and that feeling no, you're sitting there in the car and you're just looking at She was three at the time, I believe. We didn't know what was going on. That's, in, that's another moment when I experienced, we just cried out to the Lord. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You are the God who resurrects the dead. Lord, you can work and maneuver and, 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 and minister to us in this situation. And that's precisely what he did. He's so good to meet us in those moments. Church, if we would only just heed the words of Paul in Philippians 4, why are we so anxious all the time? Why am I so anxious all the time? And why don't I just fall down on my face more and just bellow it out and let him hear it and welcome that peace that surpasses understanding for the Christians in this room, the only thing that is separating you right now from the kind of peace that God wants to give you is either the disbelief that he can handle the, your situation or the refusal to let him. It's the only thing that's separating us from the peace that God promises. Because the waves of anxiety and unrest cannot toss us when we are prayerfully anchored to the God who is sovereign, wise, and good.
peace comes not in our ability to control our situation, but in crying out to the one who does control the situation. Peace comes not in knowing the future, but in knowing the one who knows the future. Jerry Bridges writes that the greatest antidote to our lack of peace is to simply do what God's word says and pray about everything with a thankful heart and to praise him that he is in ultimate control over and under every circumstance. Only when we are at peace with God like this will we have this peace within ourselves and by his spirit. We, uh, at that point is only when we have this peace within ourselves by his spirit that we can pursue point number three, peace with others. I mentioned at the beginning of our time together how the Galatian Christians had adopted a false understanding of Christianity. They had made their performance of good works the basis for their salvation. Now, it needs to be repeated, and I hope that it is in some form every single week repeated, that that is not Christianity, okay? Are believers to walk in and perform good works? Absolutely. Are we to grow in holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness? Absolutely. But the basis of our salvation, our forgiveness in eternal life is not on our performance. It's in Jesus's perfect life that he lived as yours and my substitute. It's in Jesus's atoning death that he died as yours and my substitute. It's in Jesus's glorious resurrection that guarantees ours. But because the Galatian Christians had lost sight of this, they had begun to experience the sibling rivalry that comes when we try to earn the affection of our father. In an effort to out-Christian one another, they had begun to devour one another with jealousy and envy and slander and competition fueled by fits of anger. And I said at the beginning that unfortunately, even within Substance Church, the church in America all too often defers to the works of the flesh that are sown by a lack of peace with our God and where we stand with him, just like the Galatians. And church, the challenge for us as we look at this idea of fruitful peace is that those of us who have received the spirit of Christ, how can we not but be on the front lines of extending such peace to those around us? Both in the church and out of the church. And so believer, 
You claim to believe the gospel, you claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then let me ask, what is your demeanor in the home and at work or in the gym or at the pool or in your CG? Do you look and do you sound like someone who is at peace with God because of the undeserved favor you've received from Christ? I just have to beg your forgiveness. I don't often look like that because I'm so anxious. I'm so worried about situations that I'm walking in. I'm so doubt-filled that God can really handle it or I'm so worried that the way God is gonna handle it is gonna be disappointing to my expectations. I can tend to be, and maybe you can too, snarly and combatant argumentative, gossipy, backbiting of the very Christians that I am to be in union with. Often I am a peacekeeper and not a peacemaker like Jesus commands us to be in Matthew 5. Peacekeeping is concerned with keeping things looking good and the status quo. Right, You leave me alone and I'm going to leave you alone and, and let's just, you do you, I'll, I'll do me. Um, that's not peacemaking. That's a truce. But man, we're not refined into the image of God without making war, are we? In the right kind of way. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I love this for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Isn't it ironic that the Galatians were vying for sonship? They were, they, were, they were sibling rivalry. They were competing against one another for the affirmation of God, trying to out-Christian one another. And Jesus, uh, years beforehand, had already said, no, 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 make peace in my name. Those are the sons and daughters of God. I just think that that's completely hilarious and ironic and, I, and it's just, it just goes over my head most weeks. And I just thank Jesus that he did not merely keep the peace with you and I, but he came to make peace. Making peace, extending the peace of Christ to one another involves addressing the tension instead of avoiding it. Brother or sister, is there something that's rising up in your heart or in your mind that you know of that you have hurt a brother or sister in Christ? You've spoken poorly of them. You've backbitten. You've sown discord, disunity. Maybe you've ignored them. Maybe you've been indifferent. If someone is rising up or raising up in your mind or in your conscience, in your soul right now to extend the peace of Christ that you've received would be to go and to repent to that brother or sister. And my goodness, is there wonderful grace that meets us in those moments when we humble ourselves and we say we're sorry and we ask forgiveness. Repentant reconciliation. This is something that only the Spirit can empower us to do. It just so happens that the title of the sermon, Spirit-Empowered 
peace. It's uh, symbolized every Sunday morning. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the passing of the peace, it's what we symbolize. It's that we have been reunited to God the Father. We've been granted peace with him because of the peacemaking work of Jesus Christ. And so since we have been reunited with God the Father, well, everyone else who is in Jesus has also been reunited with him, and therefore we are in union together with other brothers and sisters. And so we symbolically get to extend that peace to one another. I sure hope that it doesn't end there. I hope that in our community groups and throughout the week, I hope that we're a people that can be for, uh, to pursue peace with others in this way. And that is always gonna cost us our pride to humble ourselves and to make every effort, Paul writes in Romans 14, every effort to do what leads to peace. And that's the kind of community that's just amazingly attractive. Those who know where they stand with God and because of Christ, they are at peace with him those who are at peace within themselves, though a monsoon might sweep through Worcester, Ohio, the psalmist writes, but I will not be shaken. I won't be afraid of the bad news because I stand upon a rock who is a firmer foundation than any wave or torrent. And then, course we take that peace with God and within ourselves and we extend it to one another and I just love what James writes there's a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make it by those who make peace and so how to walk in this this morning trust Christ and obey him believers trust that Jesus was powerful enough to leave the tomb vacant and he is powerful enough to work in the moments that even the circumstances that we think are beyond him. Believe that good news today. Zoom out from your circumstance, from the big thing that happens this afternoon that just looks, it's just gonna rid you of all peace. Zoom out and preach yourself the good news that God rules and reigns over it all. He will not allow anything that we cannot handle to enter our lives and everything, even the monsoon, he uses for our good and his glory. And then in the spirit of Christ, Lord, help us to lay down our lives for each other and to make things right in a spirit of humble, repentant reconciliation. Amen. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, in the Old Testament, uh, one of your names is Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, our peace. In the New Testament, we know Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. And in the book of Romans, we've been told that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, has been poured into our hearts. We now, because of his reconciling work, reconciling work, we now have the ability to walk in peace with you, to experience that peace in ourselves. Oh Lord, would we be a people who casts our burdens and anxieties upon you? Would we be a prayerful people? Would we be a dependent people? Lord, use our calamities this week that 
lead to unrest. Draw us into prayer. And thank you that you will give us a peace that surpasses our understanding. And Lord, let us then take that ministry of peace that you have so graciously poured out upon us and let us extend it to each other. Let us be people of peace. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.